Okay. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, pictures of Danielle's wedding. Thanks to everyone who was able to come to that, by the way. That was a real blessing for her and for us as her family to see. Uh, there we go. Actually, I think we've had a harder time with just one computer, so that wasn't too bad. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it is always a joy to be able to worship with you and uh, to, to be able to just, just pause and to reflect on God's grace on a weekly basis. Why don't we have a word of prayer before we move into the sermon portion for this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together in this place of refuge to engage in this rhythm of, of honoring you in our, in our words, in our thoughts, and in our hearts. And Father, I pray as we look at uh, this passage in First Peter here this morning that it would be uh, refining for us that it would help us to have a deeper vision of what it means to follow you and to serve you as leaders uh, in whatever capacity we serve in that way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, for those who are regulars here, you'll be aware of the fact that this is my last Sunday on staff here at Auburn. Um, It is not my last day here at Auburn, but as it turns out, Uh, Next week, I will be in Nova Scotia with John and Val helping with their wedding. And then, yeah, that's exciting. And then the week after that, I will be taking our first team up north for camps in the James Bay Creek territories. So this will be my last Sunday with you before I am done my staff role here at the church. And this is an exciting time for us. It's a big transition and at the same time, a small transition because in many ways, it's really just refining our focus in ministry to work more with the students, to work more with the First Nations people. Uh, and, uh, and so even though we are stepping away from the, the formal staffing position, we're still going to be in this area and in this church serving alongside you. And, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how all of that pans out. We already see God weaving things together in a really beautiful way. Uh, to make that happen. Of course, any time that I go through a season of transition, it is an opportunity to stop and to reflect on what has been. It's been five years since I started my role here at Auburn. It was April 2014 was when I started on staff here in my current capacity. And uh, as I was thinking about it, I started looking at some pictures of what life was like back then. And I found this one that I thought was pretty cute And this gives a little bit of perspective. My daughter, who now is seven years old and as tall as a 10-year-old, there she is (laughs) as a little two-year-old. And uh, that's us walking the dog together uh, in a house that we no longer live in. And uh, uh, yeah, it's funny to look at that and to realize how much has changed since then. And as I look in that picture, of course, you notice a lot of the physical changes, the life changes, things like that. But I also recognize that in that time, I have developed a lot personally. And I I think about the fact that I have developed a lot, I think, as a leader in that time. That when I started in on this journey, there was a lot that I didn't know, that I didn't anticipate, uh, that I could not have uh, been prepared for. And yet, by the grace of God, he has equipped me along the way, and I have grown a lot. 
Uh, and that, that is partly because of the different family changes that have gone through, including having uh, Shoshana's sister, Danielle, come and live with us and walking alongside her as she grew into an adult. Um, and, of course, raising our own daughter, Aaliyah, as she has developed from a two-year-old to a seven-year-old and all of the energy and challenge that comes with that. Uh, alongside that, I've done formal education in the form of a doctor of ministry that's actually focused on Christian leadership. Uh, and, and alongside that, there's been the role here at Auburn and the role at Trent and the First Nations people that I work with. And I think the thing about that that really has grown me the most is just how different all of those different roles are. <laughs> right? That things just move at completely different paces and they're very different. You know, one is very administratively heavy and and a lot of people involved. The other is very light and fast moving and and you have to capitalize on every single moment. And and I think just having to juggle those different roles and to kind of move in those different ways has forced me to grow as a person. And so uh, I, I look back and I realize how much I have learned along the way, and my natural desire was that as I came up on this last sermon as a staff person, I wanted to be able to impart some of that which I have learned, to be able to say, here's some of the lessons I've learned along the way, uh, and, and to be able to leave you with that note. And so I was a little disappointed when Brent said to me, Ben, I really want you to do a passage in First Peter because I want to round out that series before we're done the year. So could you, could you please take First Peter 5, 1 to 4? And I was kind of like, oh, okay, fine, if I have to. But yeah, I'd really love it if I could you know, craft something of my own choosing to be able to say, here's, here's what I want you to take away, Auburn, after five years of my ministry here. Uh, and, and then I looked at the passage and I realized, oh, God, God gave me a passage that does all of that already. And so it was one of those moments that, you know, I almost was moved to tears to go, okay, God knew exactly what he was doing, that he, he put this passage in front of me uh, so that I could share some of the things that I have learned as a Christian leader, and I hope will be encouraging for you as a congregation as you reflect on this season as well, and as you transition into looking for a new leader who will be able to step into that staffing role uh, in line with some of the things we've already vocalized as a leadership team that we're looking for in this church. So, so here's, here's the thesis. Here's the thing I want to impart to you this morning as a growing Christian leader uh, that I think this passage will show us very clearly, okay? I think that godly leaders honor the Father by submitting to his Spirit and emulating his Son. I think that's what it means to be a godly leader, is to honor the Father by submitting to his Spirit and emulating his Son And this is a really high standard. Even when I use all of the divine language, I think it captures a little bit of how how big of a calling this is. But God rewards those who succeed at this task. Okay, And that's, I think, what this passage shows us. And I want to help unpack a little bit what I mean by all of those different elements. But, but I think it's encouraging to realize God sets a very high standard for those who lead in his name, and yet he rewards those who succeed at that task. Let's look at the passage itself as we, as we start to unpack that set of ideas. First Peter 5, verses 1 to 4, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, it begins, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Okay, so I've already, I've already given you my argument for the day, that I think godly leaders honor the Father by submitting to his Spirit and emulating his Son, and that God honors those who succeed at this task. And I want you to notice the first thing that jumps out at me in this passage is how Paul identifies himself as the same kind of leader as the people that he's writing to, and that he begins by pointing not towards his own life, but to what God has done in the world. This is his starting point, that he says, uh, I am a witness to the sufferings of Christ and one who shares in the glory that's about to be revealed. And so this is the starting point of godly leadership, is that it is rooted in what God has done in the world. That godly leadership is not something that we possess or that we are the starting point of, but it's actually the starting point of it is what God has done as the ultimate leader, as the one who has already accomplished his purposes in the world and is accomplishing his purposes in the world. God is initiating, God is leading, God is pursuing something, and that is the starting point of what it means to be a godly leader. Now, as we say that, it's important to be able to say, well, what is it that God is doing, right? And I think that really Paul identifies two of the the really key elements of what it is that God's mission in the world is. He says he is a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and he shares in the glory of what is about to be revealed. And this points to really the, the two key elements of what Christians call the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done in the world. The Christian narrative begins with the fact that God creates the world good, but that human beings rebel against him and break the world. And what we see is that he chooses to continue revealing himself to people, calling them back into relationship with him, and that the pinnacle of that is that he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, taking any punishment that was owed on himself, and then he rises to new life, showing that those who follow Christ, those who honor God, are able to actually experience the undoing of all of that sin and suffering and evil that human rebellion has wrought, right? It's these two key pieces, the reconciliation between God and man through Jesus's sacrifice and the future hope that we have of a world renewed for all who are part of Christ Jesus, right? That is really the gospel, This reconciliation and this renewal of the world is is the thing that God is doing in the world. He's bringing us back into relationship with him, and he's repairing the world so that all of his people can exist in a good and perfect world the way that he intended. This is God's mission. This is what God is pursuing. God is the leader of this. This is something that's beyond any one of us. It's, It's beyond me individually. It's beyond any of the elders here. It's beyond this church. Right? This is the great story that each and every one of us participates in, is God's reconciliation and renewing of the world. And I think that any form of godly leadership has to begin with that. The reason that Paul starts there is because of the fact that he, he wants his audience to recognize that he himself is totally swept up in this great big story that we call the gospel. And so if godly leaders are going to do this, if they're going to actually root themselves in God's leadership as the starting point for their leadership, it requires that they know Scripture. Because that's where we have the story of God unwoven for us so that we can understand it. And alongside this, I think it requires that godly leaders begin with a lifestyle of worship, where they are regularly celebrating what it is that God has done. 
Because without that, they're losing touch with the very thing that makes them what they are. So godly leadership begins with knowing Scripture and worshiping the one true God so that we can be centered in what it is that God is doing in this world. I think when we do this, it spills over into the rest of our life. If we can keep that perspective in mind that it is about God, not about us, that ultimately totally reworks the way that we live our lives and the way that we lead. And here at Auburn, I've seen this play itself out in big ways and in little ways. You know, this is the kind of thing that actually has incredible practical relevance, even for little things that go on here in the life of the church. I, I think about a lot of the, the ladies here who give themselves over to making sure that these facilities are well-maintained. Now, that seems like a small thing, but that is an act of leadership, right? To make sure that we have a good place of worship here that we can come to, we can build a community in, and we can celebrate God. And what I love is that I've seen that the ladies who do that are actually incredibly God-centered in the way they do that. They, they know this is part of God's mission. And I think of one encounter that I had in particular that illustrated this for me. Over the past year, we've gotten involved with helping run international, meals for international students at Trent University. And Auburn has graciously opened up its facilities to let the students who are preparing those meals come into the kitchen and use that to be able to prepare those meals. And unfortunately, the nature of students is that many of them are still learning how to cook and how to handle equipment well. And there's been a couple of times where the the pots have gotten damaged or the countertops have gotten burned (laughs) or things like that. And I remember one moment in particular, I think it was probably the second or third time that this had happened. And and the the first couple of times, the ladies had very graciously kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, hey Ben, have you noticed the pots have something really badly burned on them? We're going to have to take this home. We're going to have to get it off. Or, hey, Ben, have you noticed over here that this wasn't really clean, and so now there's some damage on the countertops, right? And it was, I think it was the second or third time I, I came in, and I saw that it happened again, and my stomach just dropped. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to get it, <laughs> Right? They've come to me so graciously so many times already and said, Ben, you need, to, you need to make sure this changes. And here it is again happening, right? And so I kind of, I, I walk my head down on a Tuesday morning, head kind of hanging in shame, like I know, okay, yeah, I'm going to hear from this, right? And, and, and the ladies come over to me and they say, hey, Ben, well, did you notice there's a big burn mark on the countertop? I say, yeah, yeah, I noticed. I know, it's really bad. Well, that's Okay. You know, it's really, it's, as long as they're able to come here into this place and they get to know that we love them and they come to know God, that's what matters most. So we'll, we'll deal with it. You know, keep on reminding them that they should try and, you know, not mess things up this way, <laughs> right? I was like, what? <laughs> I, was, I was expecting to get chewed out big time here, right? And so they're, yeah, yeah, as long as they're here, you know, that's what matters most, right? They're getting exposed to God. That's, that's what we care about, right? And I realized, Wow. Like, that's what, that's what leadership looks like when it's really centered on what God is doing in the world, right? A, a pot or a pan or a countertop really pales in comparison with that. And, of course, I've been trying to keep on reminding them, yeah, we do need to take care of those things, right? It doesn't diminish the importance of that. But in perspective, right? And, 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 and it was really wonderful for me to see that perspective is shared even by the people who are just looking after the facilities here as part of their ministry, right? So, so that, that, I think, is the key starting point of godly leadership, is to be rooted in what God is doing. That's the starting point. And we do that both by knowing Scripture and worshiping God regularly. So then I, I argued that Christian leadership, godly leadership, 
Okay, it flows from what God is doing. And ultimately, our goal, our aim, the thing that we center on is this desire to glorify God, to honor God in all that we do. Right? And we see this is something that Paul centers in on in this passage, that he, he insists that the elders in this local church community, or so I, I keep on saying Paul, this is not Paul, this is Peter, <laughs> realizing, okay, undo, undo all of the Pauls over the last while, go back and edit the, the audio file, and we can, we can insert that in. Peter, Peter uh, is he, he's speaking to these elders in the, in the, in the scattered regions uh, the, uh, that he is writing to, right? Uh, and he says that those elders, those leaders, need to serve not out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have them. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And he closes off this short passage by saying, when the chief shepherd appears, that those leaders will receive the unfading crown of glory. Right? Now, this is, this is, this is the motivation of godly leadership. Ultimately, is that we actually want to honor God the Father. We recognize everything that he has done, and because of the fact that we recognize everything that he has done, we recognize the most important thing is to please him. That's what it means to glorify God or to honor God, is that whatever we do would make him happy, right? That's, That's the aim of our lives. That is the aim of godly leadership, is to say, I want to make God smile in whatever I do. And this is not easy. There's a lot of other competing motives for, for anybody, and especially for leaders. Leaders, generally speaking, are people who have a particular set of gifts. They have a particular set of passions. They, you know, they, they want to do something, right? And it's very easy to fall into a mindset where you're motivated by what people are telling you they want you to do. Or it's, it's very easy to fall into the mindset that says, I want to pursue this because it, it makes me feel good about myself, that it, it glorifies me, that it, it helps me to grow in my honor or in my wealth or whatever else might be the temptation of leadership, right? It's very easy to fall into the mindset to be motivated by other things. But, but godly leadership really has to, has to be rooted in this desire to please God, that we want to please our Heavenly Father who has loved us so perfectly, because we recognize that as his children, that is the thing that will satisfy us most deeply, right? And I think that, to, to, really, to really do that, requires a practice of listening prayer. It requires us to regularly spend time with our Heavenly Father, quiet, to, to separate ourselves from all of the tasks of leadership and the busyness of the world and all the voices of the people around us and just to be able to spend time with God and say, God, I love you. And even to ask him, do you love me? And to hear that still small voice that says, yes, I love you, my son. I love you, my daughter. And for me, the thing that has fueled my own leadership growth is so often those moments where I realize I've been swept up in those other things and I have to pull myself apart and I go to God and God responds to me with this love. And it just reminds me, this, this is what I'm about. And again, this is something I've seen modeled in the leaders here at Auburn. Uh, I, I think in particular of, of Brent. This is, this is something right now we're going through this process of determining our future as a church. And we sat around the elders' table talking over and over again about what it is that we should do with the staffing roles here. 
And one of the conclusions we reached was that we needed to move away from this multiple part-time staff model to seek out somebody who's a full-time person that can give their full attention to the congregation here as a leader. The hard part is that for Brent, that means that his role diminishes, maybe goes away altogether, right? That's not an easy thing. I could tell that for Brent, that was a pretty emotionally heavy thing, and so I deliberately sought out time with him to meet up and to talk about how he's doing in the midst of that. And you know, the emotions were complex, but the thing that stood out to me more than anything else was underpinning all of those emotions was this peace of knowing if I do what's best for the church, God will be happy with me. And that's what matters most. That was a good reminder to me. That's what godly leadership looks like. As long as I do what's right, God will be pleased with me. That's what matters most. Godly leadership wants to honor the Father in everything that it does. How do we do that, though? Well, the answer, I think, is that we we start by submitting to God's Spirit. We see that one of the central themes through Scripture is that God doesn't fully withdraw from us despite our sin, but that he actually speaks to us and he calls out to us and he sends his Spirit to actually live among his people, to be working in them and refining them and to making them more into the kind of people that he wants them to be in the first place. This is all about character formation. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to actually shape us and make us into the kind of people that we should have been in the first place. And we see that, Paul, or that Peter calls this out in the fact that he, he notes that godly leaders shouldn't lord their authority over their followers, but they should be examples to the flock. They should be examples to the flock. I think so often when we talk about leadership, we start with the what leaders do piece, right? Here's how you can give a vision. Here's how you can make sure that people are motivated. Here's how you can make sure that things are run in a way that you accomplish your goals, right? There's a lot of books that have been written on these topics. There's a lot of uh, sermons that you could listen to about how, how do you actually serve as a godly leader. But all through scripture, the focus is before you even do anything as a leader, the first thing you need to do is become the kind of person that God wants you to be. You need to be an example of what it is you're asking the people under your leadership to go through. Right? That you have to die to yourself. That you have, to, you have to step away from sin, turn away from it, and begin walking in step with God again. That you have to let him undo all of those hurts and habits that have been bondage over you so that you can walk free from those things. And that the people who are following you will look to you and say, I want to be like that. Right? That's, that's the most important task of the leader, if we might even call it a task, is just to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Now, that would be a pretty daunting task if we thought we were totally in this alone. You ever try and change yourself? It's not an easy thing to, to break a habit that's really deeply ingrained. But the hope that we have is that we are not alone in this, that, that God's sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us. And this is not just a me thing. The Holy Spirit lives in my life. But actually, the, the promise of Scripture is that he's here with us. 
that we as a community have this Holy Spirit living and active among us, and that together we can discern the will of God. This is where the Spirit of God is found, is, is here. Whereas Jesus puts it, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. Right? This is an amazing promise that, that, that God himself is present with us through his Holy Spirit. Wherever two or three are gathered in his name. We must submit to the Spirit of God if we're going to really serve as Christian leaders. And I think in terms of practices, how do we do this practically? Well, because of what I just said, that it's an us thing, I think that godly leadership, that submitting to the Holy Spirit this way, requires having a community of accountability around us. Now, I want to be really careful. I've already said that sometimes you need to withdraw yourself to refocus yourself on God, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a part of leadership that's about how you function independent of the people around you. But I think often we've so emphasized the independent side of leadership, we've mistakenly made it sound like a leader should just be a lone ranger, right? And that is not healthy. When individuals think they know everything that God wants, that becomes abusive towards themselves because they often burn themselves out and towards the people they lead because they don't listen, right? But that's not the model of leadership that is encouraged here. God wants his leaders to actually have a community around them who can help them discern the will of God. They need to have people who can hold them accountable. They just need to be the right kind of people. You need to make sure that you surround yourself with people that you know really have your best interest at heart. Because there certainly are going to be lots of people who who think they know what God wants for your life, but it's really just motivated by selfishness. So you need to be careful of that. You need to be able to check the voices of those who would actually undo you for their own gain. But if you can find that group of people that you know love you and care about you and they are praying for you and they want to discern God's will for your life, to be able to listen to them, to let them shape your life, is one of the essential practices of the Christian leader. That way we can be an example to those who are under our leadership. We can actually become the kind of people that God wants us to be as he works through the people around us to help shape us. And that's not always a comfortable process. When somebody puts their finger on your bad spot, hey, Ben, I'm noticing this, that hurts. I don't like having that revealed. But that's how God works, is he he draws into light through others that which we need to grow in. And then he helps us grow through that community. And again, this is something I've seen modeled here at the church. I can actually think of two ladies in particular. People who have been involved in a lot of the different things that I've done, from the Trent ministry to the small group that I run, to the the serving here with various means like greeting people at the door and helping out with the youth ministry and things like that. And, and, And twice over the five years that I've been here, I've had it that, that, that somebody has come to me, again, these two ladies, who have come to me in the midst of a season of transition where there was a lot of hurt and confusion going on in their life. And without me even taking initiative at all, they came and said, I know that God wants to use this painful season to grow me, and I need help. Can you be that person for me? And the neat part is that over five years of journeying with these two people, I have seen how much God has grown them. 
And they are by no means isolated, but they stand out as examples to me of just a willingness to regularly seek out that guidance, that person who can help them discern God's will for their life. And I've seen that they, they really are, are totally different people in a lot of regards because of that willingness to say, I need somebody else to help me identify what God is doing in my life. Right? You have leaders like that here in this church, which I think is pretty encouraging. I've talked about the idea that godly leaders need to honor the Father and that they need to submit to His Spirit through their private and their communal practices. But I think then when it comes to what do leaders do, the answer ultimately is that they have to emulate the Son. I love this picture. You see all of these big, woolly, I think it's Russian sheep, and this shepherd who's actually taken one of their coats and it looks almost like a sheep himself, right? This image of a shepherd is one that Jesus uses of himself, and he, he then uses of his followers. And we see that in the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus pick up on this language of shepherding as an illustration of what it means to lead others. And we see that here in this passage. Peter, writing to his audience, says, you need to shepherd God's flock among you. And again, I think part of that is this, this idea of not lording your authority over those who are entrusted to you. There's all sorts of different vocations that that the biblical authors and Jesus could have actually used to try and illustrate what leadership looks like. And the fact that they chose shepherding is an interesting one. It's not a particularly honorable profession. It's one that often is reviled by people around us. And there's one particular reason for that. The shepherd really has very little direct control over the life of the sheep. The shepherd realizes that the sheep are not going to just do what the shepherd wants. In many ways, the shepherd, in, in becoming a shepherd, has to kind of give up on illusions of grandeur. <laughs> and instead, what they need to do is actually live life among the flock. And that by being there present with them, by being a familiar face that's there regularly, they can begin to subtly influence the lives of the sheep. That, that, that as they are present there in the flock, then they are able to actually lead the flock in calmer and gentler ways than they would if they just tried to make the sheep do something. This is, this is what godly leadership looks like. It's not a distant leadership. It's not a leadership that's, that's centered on, I am the voice of God, now hear me! Godly leadership is leadership that actually gives of one's own life. This is, I am going to be with you, to live among you, to actually give you my love, to actually make you a part of my life, to share my story with you, to be vulnerable with you, to trust, and then to ask for trust in return. Shepherd God's flock among you. I think in terms of praxis, how do we put this into practice? The answer is that we need to give and receive hospitality. We can't, we can't just remain a staff person. We actually have to get to know the people that we're living alongside so that that trust develops in a mutual way. And when I say the, the idea of hospitality, sometimes we have the image of, you know, the pastor coming over for supper, inviting people over for supper. That's part of it, right? Visiting homes is a key part of hospitality when you open up your home to somebody else. But it's not always just homes. It can be sitting down in a coffee shop. 
It can be going to somebody's graduation or another milestone event. It can be visiting somebody in a hospital when they're sick. Or it can just be being interruptible enough that when somebody bumps into you, you're actually willing to stop and ask how they're doing and to, to check in on a life level with that person. Now, I want to be really clear here. What I'm talking about is not necessarily what sometimes gets called the gift of pastoring or the gift of shepherding. There are some people who have the ability to go even deeper, to help, to help disciple people closely, to help counsel them, things like that. There's a, there's a real caring role that some people have, right? And I think there's a special gift of that. Not every leader is going to be perfect at that kind of gifting. But I think that sometimes people use the fact that that's not their gifting as an excuse to just remain distant. And that's what Jesus won't permit. That's what Peter is not willing to have here. He says to be a godly leader, you need to be living life alongside your sheep. You need to know them and they need to know you so that that mutual trust develops. That's what is being pushed for in this passage. And again, this is something I've seen modeled here at the church. I can think of one example in particular where there was one of our elders who was struggling because his family was going through a bit of a crisis and he was worried that it had implications on his leadership, that, that really he had, he had been disqualified because of the fact that his home wasn't orderly in the way the Bible talks about anymore. And so he actually called us together and said, guys, I have to tell you about something that I just found out. This is going on in my home, and and it's really distressing me. And if I need to step down as an elder, I understand. You know, the thing that I loved in that moment was that the elders, far from jumping to conclusions and saying, all right, that's it, you're out, they went to the far opposite of the end where they just said, tell us more. You must be hurting can you share a little bit more about what's going on there? How are you taking care of your heart in this? Because that's hard. I think we just spent half an hour listening and praying for that elder because we realized beneath the leadership stuff, there's human stuff going on here. In that moment, I saw elders shepherding elders. That's a good thing. That's the starting point of Christian leadership. We want to honor God in all that we do. We have to submit to the leading of his Holy Spirit. And, and, and we do that by emulating the son who gave himself to his friends, to his followers. Jesus left his throne on high to become like us. That's what godly leadership looks like. Come down off the throne. Be among My encouragement for you as a church on this last staff day for me as a, as a preacher here is that you want this kind of leadership in your midst. You want leaders who honor the Father by submitting to his spirit and emulating his son. And God rewards those who succeed at this task. It's a high calling but one that we should aspire to because God honors it. And I think he honors communities in which it takes place. Godly leadership leads to godly communities. As a congregation, that means celebrate 
the leaders that you do have who are already modeling so much of this. And it means keep on looking for this kind of leadership, both as you go about hiring a new pastor, but also just holding the leaders that you have to that high standard, saying we expect this of you. We want you to lead this way. And, and I, I want to say that when you do see that kind of leadership taking place, make sure to, to respect that, to give them your trust. Make leaders earn your trust. But once they have, trust them deeply. And to the leaders in this community, I go back to what I've already said here. Make sure to root yourself in the gospel. Make sure that you're serving the audience of one, trying to please God and make him smile in everything that you do. Make sure that you submit to the Spirit of God and allow him to shape you into the kind of person that you want to be. Make sure that you give your life to the flock, not just your skills. This applies to the formal leaders, like the elders and the deacons and the ministry leaders. It also applies to all of the informal leaders, the people who are looking after the facilities, the people who are trying to greet people at the door, the people who are involved in the youth ministry or the Sunday school ministry. Whatever roles you've got, any time that you take initiative to try and make the world a better place, this is what you're being called to. And, since it's Father's Day, it's important to note, this also applies in the home. (laughs) That our community here at Auburn also begins in our smaller communities of families. That husbands and wives should love and lead each other this way. That parents should love and lead children this way. And, And I think it's important to note that, in particular, all of the studies show that when fathers are willing to be this kind of leader, when they are willing to be other centered and to focus on their own growth, self-reflective, that kind of father can have a tremendous impact on their family. But fathers who don't can leave damage in a way that very few things can. So for those who are in that position here today as a father, note, this kind of leadership is what you're called to. Do the hard work of leading well in your home, of leading well in your church, of leading well in your workplace. I believe that if you here at this church can, can celebrate and model this kind of leadership, you will honor God. You will impact many lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have taken initiative to transform our lives and to transform the world, that you've called us back into relationship with you and that you are restoring this world to what we have lost. Father, I pray that we lead from that in this place, that everyone who dares to take initiative would try and honor you, to submit to your spirit, and to emulate your son so that we can be the kind of community you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.